course, when I was growing up, I had, had an opportunity to be in something like a wanna. You know, I had an opportunity to, you know, I made a faith commitment later in age, and my kids had an opportunity to grow up being a part of the local body of Christ. And I tell you, it's night and day difference between what I experienced and what my kids have experienced. And so I'm just so grateful for the way that God has uh, provided for our ministry and for just our Awana program and just for uh, the opportunity we have to invest in the lives of kids. And so if you want to know more, stop by the table. I know Amanda's going to be out there after the service this morning. She'll be more than happy to talk with you. Now, this morning, uh, we're continuing our series. Uh, we're looking at what the church is supposed to be doing. And, uh, you know, it was re- it's really important that we uh, take some time to talk about this. You know, it was interesting because I was, I was sitting over here thinking about the series and while I was thinking about it, I was reminded of the fact uh, that I signed uh, one of my twins up for membership at a local gym club. So I'm fitness 19, and so I'm sitting there thinking, I forgot to cancel that. So that thought popped into my mind <laughs> while I was sitting over there. I thought, oh, I took all the kids back to school last week. And so there been some adjustments around the house, and so I remembered I needed to cancel her gym membership. And so I, she came on with me uh, for my gym membership. It was only 10 bucks. But my other daughter, Natalie, that was Mary, was on my Natalie went over to one of the larger gyms in the area, and she had a free uh, membership for the summer. And so as a part of the process of applying for the membership, um, she had to go through this orientation class. And I thought, so she was telling me about it last week. I didn't even realize she had done this. And so we were just talking about the gym and gym memberships. And uh, Nally was telling me that uh, she walked in with her free coupon, and she thought she was just going to walk in, get to join the gym, do some swimming, and get this free month. But it kind of caught her off guard because they said, well, before we give you your your free month, you have to attend an orientation class. And it takes an hour and a half to go through the orientation class. And so now he was telling me about the orientation class. They took her on a tour. They told her about the gym. They talked about, you know, the importance of maybe having a trainer. And so they're really doing the sales job on Natalie because they don't just want her for the month, right? They want her for, <laughs> they want her for an extended period of time. And, you know, I know they get hit by all this college kids coming home. But the point is, as I was talking to Nellie, I was amazed by the commitment that she made for this one month free membership to the gym class. She had to attend this one hour orientation class and she was telling me about all the stuff she had to do. I thought, wow, that's just for a gym membership. And I was amazed that they could even get somebody to make that kind of a commitment. I mean, for a month, I don't know, man, an hour and a half. But it was really interesting to talk with her about her commitment to gym membership. And we started talking about the church. We started talking about commitment in general and and just what it means to be committed to something other than the body of Christ and how many things vie for our time. And and it was interesting because she went back to school. I think she used it three times. And uh, But it was really interesting to talk with her through that. And I was thinking through the importance of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ versus the gym. I mean, we have the hope of the world. We have the assurance of spending eternity in heaven. We've got the good news about Jesus Christ. And I'm always amazed how many times I ran into conversations about just the willingness to have, you know, to sit down and go through something just to talk about our mission and values. You know, we have a membership class coming up, and I know there's a lot of things that vie for our time, but I can't think of anything more important to be a part of than to be a part of the body of Christ. It is an important part. It's the hope of the world. You know, this world is going to come, it's going to go, we're going to die. I had an opportunity to do a funeral for one of our family members here this past week, and I was reminded of, it's at those points that we are most reminded about the mortality of our lives. And then what happens is we get to the next week and we forget. We have been entrusted with the good news about Jesus Christ. We have the assurance of spending eternity in heaven. We have the promise of a full life today. 
through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't think of anything else that I'd rather be a part of than the local body of Christ. It is a privilege and a responsibility that we share. So this series is about what the church is supposed to be doing. Pastor Dan started this series by looking at the importance of sharing that good news with others around us in our community. We talked about evangelism and what that looks like. And we talked about some of the opportunities we're going to have as a church as we head into the fall to be salt and light in this community, to to reach people in our community and to tell and share with them uh, about the good news about Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the importance of encouraging one another. And we talked about the importance of discipleship. We talked about coming alongside of one another and encouraging one another and learning to, with one another and, and, and challenging other and spring one another on as we live out our faith while we're here on this planet. And we looked at discipleship and we looked at encouraging one another. Today we're going to look at what it means to love one another. We're going to look at what it means to be investing in and to have intentional relationships around you. Relationships that make a difference in your life. Relationships that will continue to help you learn and, and where you can experience and, and, and work together at accomplishing all that God has for us as the church. Whether it's sharing our faith or whether it's worshiping God or whether it's uh, you know, doing discipleship. or you know, We have an opportunity as the, as the body of Christ to come along of one another and form these relationships where we can experience this growth. And so we want to look at what it means to love one another in the context of well, the relationships that we should have within the church. You know, what does it mean to um, love one another? If you wanted to, uh, you know, if I were to ask you, what does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to love? Um, if I were to ask you all the right on the back of your bulletin, what your thought of what love is, um, we'd probably have all kinds of different answers. And so, um, so I was kind of preparing for my message. I thought, well, I wonder what Google has to say. <laughs> I love Google. You know, Google is just, uh, you know, it just, whatever you want to know, man, you just, you don't even have to, you just voice it on your little cell phone. You know, Google, what is love? And so I looked that up last week and uh, uh, I found uh, over 13 trillion <laughs> responses. And so, but one of the ones that came up to the top that I was kind of intrigued by was uh, some answers that were given by a group of four to eight year old kids that are asked the question, what is love? And here's some of their uh Here's some of their answers. Rebecca, age eight, says this. Well, my grandmother got arthritis. She couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. I thought that was cute. That's love. Then Carl, age five, says this. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. <laughs> oh, man. I got it. <laughs> Carolyn's not in here in this service. Adolfo, man. When I met Carolyn, she was wearing Adolfo. There's something about that. Bobby, age five, says this. Love is what's in the room. This was actually kind of profound. Uh, Love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, Claire, age six, my mommy loves me more than anybody else. You don't see anybody else coming into my room to kiss me at night. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelling sweaty and still says he's more handsome than Robert uh, Redford or Brad Pitt. This is one of the funny ones because, you know, four kids are always passing down clothes. Lauren, age four, says, I know my sister loves me because she gives me all of her old clothes and then she has to go out and buy new ones. <laughs> oh, if she only knew. <laughs> so if you want to know where love is, you know, where do you go? You know, do you go to Google? You know, where should we go to find out what it means to love one another? Where do we go to find out what love is? You know, we've all got opinions. Everybody's got ideas. 
Google's got, you know, three trillion ideas about what love is. If we want to know where love is, I'm convinced that the only place that we should go is to, the, to God's Word. God's Word tells us what love is. It's, it's God's Google book. And so it, sometimes it, it doesn't, I wish it had a little voice prompter on it. You know, sometimes we have to look at it and we'll study it. But everything that we need to know about life is in this book. And so we're going to look at love this morning. We're going to look at what the Bible says about what love is. What does it mean um, to love um, one another? It's such an important uh, thing that for us to be able to, to go to God's Word and to be able to explore everything that He has for us. As we come to uh, the Scripture this morning, I know we've, you know, it was interesting because I, I, I love to pray, but I want to just uh, spend a few moments. Let's just uh, open our time up. Uh, let's ask God to open our hearts up for what He would have for us as we look at His Word this morning. Father, I just want to thank You. I thank You that Your love is sufficient for us. I thank You that You demonstrated Your love for us as a result of who we are in Christ. And I know that there's so many things that vie for our time. There's so many different places that we go to information this morning. God, I just want to pray that we come to your word with an open heart that you would have for us um, just the excitement of what it means to be in a love relationship with you. And and God, help us as a church family uh, to be able to love one another so that others might see that love and be drawn to you. And God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the great work that you're doing. And, And God, we just want to commit our time to you this morning. Uh, for all that you have for us, in Christ's name, amen. Well, yeah, as I look throughout Scripture, um, there's different types of loves that are, that are reflected. There's a, a romantic love uh, that might be reflected as you read through um, the book of Solomon. Um, so we see romantic love uh, described. We see uh, parental love uh, as, as, as parents and moms come alongside their children. And so we see parental, uh, parental kind of love. We see uh, Christian love is reflected in Romans 12.10, where it says we're to be devoted to one another and honor one another. We're to love one another. And so that's kind of a brotherly Christian kind of love. And then there's a fourth kind of love that we are going to look at this morning, because this is the kind of love that God calls us to as a part of being you know, the body of Christ. And it's a sacrificial uh, kind of love. It's selfless. It's unconditional. It's the highest type of love that we find in the Bible. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's, it's interesting where we use the word love. I I, uh, I love ice cream. You know, I love different things. I, I don't know where I would put the love for ice cream. I, I wish Jesus had said he'd love something like ice cream because I don't know if that's... I know some people that are romantically involved with chocolate ice cream and, and uh, you know, some people just, you know, I like ice cream. So maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a fellowship kind of love I have with ice cream. But there's different types of love. This morning we want to look at what it means to have sacrificial love, the kind of love that God has for us reflected through his son that we're supposed to be experiencing in the body of Christ as we love one another. If you brought your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 13. Um, We're going to look at the uh, first couple of verses together. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning uh, and you you need a good Bible, maybe you don't have a Bible at home and yours is difficult to read. Uh, If you don't have a Bible at home, I want you to uh, come see me after the service. We'll get you uh, set up with one. But uh, if you don't have it, then just kind of listen with me as as we read along, beginning in the book of John uh, chapter 13, where we see Jesus really demonstrating this sacrificial kind of love. It says it was the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now shows them the full extent of his love. And so Jesus had been walking around with the disciples. He'd been expressing and showing them love. But the time has now come that he's going to show them the full extent of his love. There's something different about what he's getting ready to show them. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot of uh, Simeon to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he's returning to God. And so he came up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So one by one, he's going around the table and he's washing the disciples' feet. Peter's watching this. Jesus comes to Peter and uh, Peter says to him, Lord, are you really going to wash my feet? <laughs> I mean, he's been watching this unfold. And now Jesus finally gets to him. And he says, are you really going to wash my feet? Jesus says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you're going to more fully understand. No, says Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answers, unless I wash your feet, you're going to have no part with me. And so Jesus says, you know, there is, he's having this conversation with Peter. He goes, well, don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands, wash my head as well. And so you get this whole foot washing scene that unfolds at this dinner table. And, and so Peter's watching all these disciples get their feet washed. And then he gets to Peter and all of a sudden there's this explosion of discussion. And Jesus says, look, I have got to do this. Jesus said, a person who, is not, who has had a bath um, needs only to wash his feet. You're clean. Your feet got dirty on the way over here. And so a person who is clean uh, doesn't need a bath. He only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is already clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. He's talking about Judas. When he finished washing their feet, he, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place, and he said, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so the disciples have been sitting around waiting for a promised Messiah. They've been waiting for a king that was going to come and was going to rule and put their enemies under their feet. They were experiencing or expecting a king that was going to rule with an iron fist like they had been experiencing. The thought that they were going to have a Messiah or a Lord that was going to come as a servant and wash their feet just knocked their socks off. And Peter is really coming to grapple with this. And so Jesus models for them this idea of what it means to be a servant leader, what it means to be a, a, to experience a servant kind of love. Jesus would go on to predict, you know, kind of predict his betrayal. He'd go on to talk about what was going to happen with Judas. Uh, he would go on to just you know, talk about what was getting ready to unfold. As you move down into verse 31, it says, uh, After Jesus had gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is going to be glorified. God's going to be glorified in him. God's going to be glorified in him. God will glorify the Son in him, and, and he will glorify him all at once. My children, I will be with you only for a little while longer. You will look at me just as I told the Jews, so now I'm telling you where I'm going, you can't go. A new command I'm going to give you right now. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By all this, men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus models a sacrificial love. It's a servant kind of a love. It's a, it's a love that says, I'm going to put you first. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. This new commandment, this new type of love was something that they had not experienced 
than the past. This new love raises the standard on what their idea of what it means to love one another looks like. It's not just an emotion. It's not just about being together. It's about sincerely with your heart putting the needs of others before yourself. Peter and the disciples had never experienced, and they recoil at getting their feet washed. Peter says, Jesus, will you wash my feet? Never! I don't even want to experience that kind of love. That's awkward. You know, think about the kind of love that we're called to that's more of a sacrificial love. What does it mean to love your enemies when someone's wronged you, when you've been hurt, when you're in pain, and someone has sinned against you, or you've got these things that are wrong? You want me to love my enemies? Never! We recoil at the thought of having to love other people. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it is difficult. But Jesus calls us to a sacrificial kind of love. The kind of love that enables us to love our enemies. The kind of love that enables us to serve people around us. And that's the kind of love that we're called to experience and be a part of in the body of Christ. That's what love is. Jesus defined love in terms of sacrificial actions instead of words or emotions. And that is a countercultural message. Because we live in a culture that believes that love is how you feel. You fall in love. You fall out of love. Love is an emotion. I don't know if I love her anymore. Love is a commitment. It's not a feeling. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. We're called to the kind of love that is a sacrificial love. I had a conversation with one of the men uh, when I was over in uh, India uh, last month, and we were talking about um, you know, sacrificially loving our wives. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He was wanting to talk to me about the role of a wife having to submit to his leadership. And, and they were going through these struggles, and she wasn't respecting his leadership. And I asked him, I said, are you sacrificially loving your wife as Christ loved the church? But you don't understand what she does. And I, was, I said, wait. That's not what you're called to do. I'm not asking you for an explanation. If she's your enemy, love her. We're called to sacrificially love those around us. And that's what the kind of love is that Jesus wants us to model and experience as a part of the body of Christ. And as I was kind of looking through this passage, I found a few examples that I just want to share with you this morning. The type of love that Jesus would model for us, the type of love that he would want us to experience in the fullness of being a part of the body of Christ in the fullness of being members of, of the body of Christ. For us here at Springbrook, the first type of love that Jesus models for us is not selfish. The first type of love that Jesus models is the fact that it is not selfish. It's, it's not serving its own self. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says this, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, remember the disciples were looking for that king that was going to come and and rule with a mighty hand, but Jesus says, that's not the kind of love that I have for you. That's not the kind of love that you're supposed to be experiencing. The kind of love that I've modeled for you is the kind of love that puts others ahead of themselves. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for others. You know, when I married Carolyn, um, she was the first woman that I had ever told that I loved. And, uh, you know, I had made a lot of mistakes in my life kind of growing up, and, and uh, I was kind of a train wreck. God intervened and gave me a beautiful bride. 
One of the things I look back on and I thought, you know what, I never told another woman that I loved her. And so that was one of my life. I used to think I got right until I look at this verse. You see, because when I got married, i got to be honest, I wasn't thinking about putting her needs ahead of mine. I was thinking about getting my needs met. <laughs> and that's not the right attitude that we should have when we come into such an intimate relationship. You know, as a husband and wife, we're entering into a sacred relationship. It's a bond. It's, and God is a part of that. It's a mystery. We're, we're united. We've become one flesh. And for the first ten years of my marriage, that's not how I was thinking about love. And it caused turmoil. I wasn't thinking about how I could serve Caroline. I was constantly thinking about why my needs were not being met. I'm sympathetic to Peter because I'm sure um, he did, would not want somebody else washing his feet. He didn't want to wash others' feet. It can be difficult to have somebody else wash your feet. You know, I've had my uh, feet washed before, and it is humbling. And I've had an opportunity to wash the feet of my wife and, and, and my kids, and I've had an opportunity to wash other people's feet. And there's, there's something that is so intimate and about it that it, it does. It throws us off. We don't like that. We want to keep everything at a surface level. We want to come in on Sunday morning. It's like we want to sing some songs and everybody leave me alone. I don't want to know. <laughs> That's just the kind of way we're wired. It's so difficult to let people in. But if we're going to experience the fullness of a relationship with Christ, if we're going to be able to experience the fullness of a relationship with God through His Son, and if we're going to experience the fullness of love that God's called us to, we've got to move to understand that love is not selfish. The kind of love that Jesus models is that it is, serves other people. The second thing that he models is the, uh, that love is understanding. Love is understanding. You see, Jesus knew the limitations of his followers. He understood Jesus' position. I'm grateful that he understands me. I'm grateful that he understands us. He understands the limitations of his followers, which is one of the reasons he's able to have compassion on their failings. There's always a reason why people rebel against God. There's always a good reason. Trying to understand doesn't change a person's guilt, but it can help us to be able to love them. In Luke, on chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus says this. He's hanging on the cross. He looks down at them and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And then they went on to divide his clothes up by, by casting lots. You know, I think if I was Jesus hanging on that cross... <laughs> I think I'd be raining down some fire. <laughs> what are you guys doing? You know, I think I'd be releasing the angels in heaven, have the ability to come down and just wipe everybody out. And there's Jesus on the cross looking down going, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. You know, the kind of love that Jesus exemplifies for us is a kind of love that says, I understand that person. It's an empathetic kind of a love. You know, empathy is one of those areas that God has really been growing me in the last several years. You know, Pastor Dan went through a series, uh, several, I think it was last year, it was uh, the Emotionally Healthy Church. And uh, as an opportunity, we had an opportunity to hear the teaching each Sunday and then our small groups. I had an opportunity to break up and do an individual study. And, and I had been through that. And I had read that book before and I'd had the results. And so I already knew going in that I was going to be in trouble because as I looked at the survey results, you know, I, I read the book, I did the study, I took a little thing. It's like, it says, uh, you are a man of faith. You're, you're like an adult. I was like, ooh, an adult. And so it ranks people according to their age. Adults, uh, teenagers, adolescents, children, infants. And so I'm an adult. Ooh, I'm mature. And ooh, I'm like this. I'm like this. And I'm a man's man. And then all of a sudden I get to empathy and it's like, you are an infant. <laughs> 
And so I went back, what do you mean I'm an infant? I'm not an infant. So I went back and I tore the chapter up and I was looking at the verses and I thought, you know what? I am an infant. I have to stop to put myself in the position of others. I have got the gift of faith. I've got the gift of leadership. It is so easy for me to charge ahead and to forget that sometimes I need to stop and I need to put myself in the other person's shoes. And I don't always do that. And I have grown in this in this idea of being more empathetic. And I am so grateful for, for, for you and for those that have come alongside and kind of helped me with this. It's, it's been a growth area of mine. And as I look at the example that Jesus gave us for what it means to have a sacrificial love, it means that we understand the other person's position. You know, when somebody cuts me off in, in, the, in the traffic, you know, that's, I'm getting, that's getting easier. That, may, that man or woman's probably on the way to the hospital. They, they might have some tragedy going on in their life. Give them room. You know, sometimes I'm on the way to the hospital. <laughs> I'm cutting in line. You know, but, you know, I'm, I'm having to put myself in the position of others. And when we do that, we're able to experience that love that, that God has for us. The kind of love that Jesus looks down and says, man, just forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's sacrificial love. Sacrificial love puts other people's first. It's, it's understanding. And then the third type of love that Jesus models for us is forgiving. He models a forgiving kind of a love. You see, sin entered into the world through Adam, and as a result of being a part of the human race, we're all sinful. That was something that God really had to convict me of growing up because I always compared myself to others. Sin is a condition. We're all born with it. There's nothing you can do to escape it. You mean that little baby's got sin? Yes, it's a human. Sin is something that we've inherited from Adam. It's, not, it's, it's a miracle that anybody gets to get into heaven because we're all separated from God. The fact that he and his wisdom and as part of his good plan and his sovereignty sent his son for us to die a criminal's death on the cross for forgiveness of sins is a miracle. Every person that comes to faith in Christ is a miracle. And so if you have a relationship with Christ this morning, you are a miracle. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ and, and you're here this morning, you're a miracle. Because the Spirit of God has brought you here to draw you in to help you understand your need for a relationship with Christ. The book of John, it says, no one comes to the Son unless the Father is drawing him to himself. Every single person that's here this morning, every person that has a relationship with Christ is a miracle. You know, Romans 3 says that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the bad news. We're all in this sinful condition. It's bad news, but the good news is this. Look at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died on the cross for our sins. That is great news. That's the news we've been entrusted with. That's the part of the evangelism. We're supposed to be sharing this with the other people around us. And then, and then we come along beside of one another in the context of discipleship relationships, and we work this out in our lives. And it's like you have been bought at a price. You are not your own. And we spur one another on towards faith and good works, and we grow in maturity and stature and love as we accomplish all that he has for us as individuals and together as the body of Christ at Springbrook. Isn't that great? I mean, God has called us into a relationship with himself. And Jesus models this, this kind of forgiveness that we have. And, and so we think about love, it's, it's a forgiving kind of a love. I have experienced forgiveness. And that's what motivates me. Sometimes I'm talking to people and I wonder, have you really experienced the love of Christ? Have you really experienced that forgiveness? You know, A relationship with Christ changes you. The old is gone. The new has come. And it gives you a spiritual gift to be used for building up the body of Christ. And and as we come together in love and unity and and encourage and spur one another on and grow, other people look at what's going on here and they say, wow, what's going on there? I want to go check that out. 
kind of love that God has called us to experience is a forgiving kind of a love. I know it can be difficult, and sometimes it can be, you know, it can be, I'm sure it was, you know, uh, it was, you know, I think through my own life, just the areas that I've had difficulty forgiving somebody or working through issues. And, and one of the things that really enables me to do that is to say, hey, look, as you forgive, it's going to be forgiven to you. And so I'm, I'm constantly reminded of, of the fact that I have been forgiven, and that motivates me and spurs me on to forgive others around me. And that's the kind of love that Jesus models. And so we talk about love. It's not a feeling or it's emotion. It's an, it's an obedience issue. It's a, it's a walk. It's a, it's a journey that we're on together. And it's the love that we're supposed to experience together as the body of Christ. And so what does that look like for us? In the book of Acts, we see that um, the disciples uh, are kind of hanging around the upper room. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. He's ascended into heaven. And they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come on them. And so they're just kind of hanging around trying to figure out what's next. And uh, as you move into chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And uh, they get their marching orders. In Acts 1.8, we talked about the fact that we're supposed to be witnesses. We're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And we're going to, re- we're going to be witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And so that's what's going to happen. It happens in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes on them. The day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. A sound like a blowing and violent wind comes from heaven and fills the whole house. And, and these people are empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish what they're going to accomplish. In verse 2, Peter stands up with the other 11, and he raises his voice and he addresses the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. These men have been filled by the Holy Spirit. They have received the Holy Spirit. They understand the good news. They understand who Jesus is, and they've experienced the love that God has for them through his Son. They've made faith commitments, and they're excited. And then he goes on to tell them, this Jesus that you crucified, they now understand is, is our Messiah. He's the one we were waiting for. He's our Lord and he's our Savior. And he goes on to explain to them the fact that Jesus Christ is God, that he came down to earth, he died a criminal's death for the forgiveness of our sins, that by placing our faith in him, we can be made right with God. And then they've been given the Holy Spirit. He ascended and he'd been given the Holy Spirit. He goes on to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And when he gets done, I love this, when he gets done, it says 3,000 people believed. 3,000 people believed. In verse 40 in chapter 2, with many other words, he was warning them. He was pleading with them to save, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message that day were baptized. And 3,000 people were added to their number. Went from 120 to 3,120. And then what did they do next? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking, to the, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. A relationship with Christ is life transforming. When we come to experience and, and the fullness of the love that God has for us, how can we help but want to share that kind of love with others? How can we help but not want to forgive others? How can we help but not want to serve others? How can we help but not understand others? That's what we've been called in, into this body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, we look at this love as reflected in the early church in verse 42. What did they do? 
they devoted themselves what? What did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. That was one. The second thing they devoted themselves to was to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. If you want to see a spirit of God move through our church, if you want to experience the fullness of a relationship with Christ, if you want to, kind of, if you want to have the kind of relationship that influences the people around you, two things. Devote yourself to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What is the apostles' teaching? It's this, we have it. Praise God that somebody wrote it down and put it together. This is the greatest book that's ever been written. It's not just another book. It's about the love relationship that God has for us. It's about, it's about how to experience the fullness of life. And, and if we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, if we'll devote ourselves to this, it will change our life. And if we devote ourselves to the fellowship, to one another, what is the fellowship? It's the koinonia. You know, you did not walk into church this morning. You walked into a building. You are the church. Koinonia is that it's an ecclesia. It's a collection. It's a gathering of believers. And so when we get together, we're the church. If we all marched out that door right now and we stood out there in the grass, the church is now outside and the building's over here. And so we devote ourselves to this and to each other. It's a commitment. Now, there's a lot of different places that you can commit to your fellowship. There's some great churches in this area. If you attend Springbrook, I want to encourage you, make a commitment here. You'll be able to experience the fullness of Christ. You'll be able to experience the awe. A lot of people aren't experiencing any awe because there's just there's no commitment to the teaching and to the fellowship. We need to commit ourselves to one another. And then we need to commit ourselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What's the breaking of bread is we celebrate that at communion. We come together on a routine basis to remember who we belong to, to remember what Christ has accomplished for us. Communion. We're going to do communion next weekend. It's an opportunity for us to break bread together. And then you know what? We meet in temple courts. We break bread in our homes as well. And so when we sit down, I grew up saying grace. It was the same prayer. It was, you know, <laughs> I bet, raise your hand if this sounds weird. Bless us, O Lord, for these, I guess, which you're about to receive. Anybody? Everybody. <laughs> I said that every time. When we sit down at the dinner table and we pray together, we give thanks. Thank you, God, for your provision. I'm giving thanks for God for my provision a lot more. I'm thanking God for the love that he has for us. I'm thanking him for the blessing of our children. I'm thanking him for who he is. And so when we come together and we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer, that unleashes the power of God to work in our lives. Devote yourself to God's word, to the fellowship. Devote yourself to breaking of bread and prayer. And when that happens, we'll be filled with awe. And the wonders and signs will be appeared, and everybody will see that. As you can move on to uh, verse 44 and verse 45, what did they do next? They held everything together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions, and they gave to anyone who had need. They didn't hold everything in common, because if I was married, you know, you're not going to share my family in that way. And so this is not about everybody selling everything you own and throwing all the money in the pot, and let's all share off the pot. <laughs> It's not a, well, I put in 10 and you put in one, or I put in 10 and you put in 1,000, and hey, now I get access to your 1,000. It's about when you recognize or you see the need in the life of somebody in your fellowship that you meet that need. It's about putting their needs ahead of yourself. It's about, and if you need to, sell something. I've got some stuff I can get you. eBay is the greatest thing. <laughs> eBay and Craigslist. We can pay for a lot of stuff with that. <laughs> sell some stuff. Give to people who have need. You know, when we do that, we become a part of, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. 
you know, we meet, we, we, we work with people, we meet the needs of people that are part of our fellowship as people come in. You know, we are intentional about living this out. They held everything in common. And then in verse 46 it says this, Every day they continued to meet together. Where? In the temple courts. And then they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I love this. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. I pray that God would go before us this fall, preparing the hearts and minds of people to want to come in and be a part of this fellowship. I think this is a great church, and I want other people to be able to experience that. I'm going to be intentional about sharing my faith. I'm going to be intentional about doing everything that I can do to not be a barrier to what God wants to do in the life of somebody else because he's the one that does the adding. All we have to do is get out of the way, and we're in the way of a lot of different areas. We need to evaluate and think about where can we be more effective. What, what are some barriers that we can remove for our lives? How can we be more diligent at living out this love that God's called us to so that others can come in and be a part of what he's doing in this church? The Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. You know, I love this breaking bread in their homes. Because as I look at this passage, I look through Acts, I, I see there's two things at play here. There's a who we are together. And I tell you, I would love, I see Michael down there. I would love to go sit by him for a little bit or Dave. Um, as I'm just looking around, I, there's people that, that I get to interact with on a routine basis. And there's some people that I don't know. You're new to Springbrook this morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here. <laughs> love to tell you more about our church. So you can fill out that welcome slip during the service. We're going to be collecting that in just a little bit. I wish I could spend time with every single person in here as a pastor. I know that's where Dan's heart is too. Dan has modeled for me a compassion for others that is just exemplary. Dan loves people, and he wishes he could spend time with every single person. Here, there's two of us, and we're trying to figure out how to spend time with every single person. <laughs> we just can't do it. It's impossible. And so you know what? We have some people around us that we, we love, we respect, that God's gifted, and they're leaders in Springbrook. And we ask them to come join a journey for us to, to help us to help others get connected at Springbrook. And so we have ministry team leaders, and, and they're not just coming in and handing out bullets. I mean, when you came in this morning, you got handed a bulletin. Before you got handed that bulletin this morning, that team met, they prayed, they prayed that God would go before them, they invested in the lives of one another, Somebody, somebody's not there, they're in the hospital. That's a team. And it's, it's got a leader. It's got somebody that says, hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love on this little group of people and, and we're going to serve together and love. And, and I love serving on teams because that's where this really gets broken out. We've got ministry team leaders and then we, like, we have small groups. And I tell you, my heart beats for small groups. I love the body of Christ. And I love everything that it entails. And I know that if you're going to experience this, that you better go get into somebody's home. You've got to get in somebody's home. I love Sunday morning. I love singing those songs. I mean, I, got, I still have goosebumps. I was thinking, your love never fails. When the, when, the, uh, when, the nights, when the night comes in and when the tide rises, when there's, there's pain in the night, the light of the morning comes in and it's the light of Christ and I just love the day. And I love singing. I love worshiping. and I, I love teaching and I love listening to dance teaching. I love being here on Sunday mornings. But you know what happens? Tomorrow I wake up and I hit the world. And I've got to have some men around me and say, hey, remember what we were doing last Sunday? Come on, man. You know, if we're going to experience this love, we have got not just meet in the temple court. We've got to get involved in small groups. My heart beats for helping every one of you find a small group at Springbrook. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about what small groups need to look like. There's a lot of times when people say, well, I've been involved in this small group. I had a bad experience. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry you had a bad experience. I've been to a lot of churches and I've had a bad experience. I'm sorry. If you had a bad experience at church and you're still kind of questioning, that's not God's fault. That's not a reflection of who God is. It's a reflection of fallen people. And so if you've had a bad church experience, I'm sorry you've had that. I want to help you to have a good small group experience here. It is so important that we don't just meet in the temple courts, but we meet together and we break bread in people's homes and do these things together. And there's a lot of misconceptions that say, well, I want to have people in my home, but, you know, I'm not Joseph Stoll or I'm not Rob Bell or I'm not Bill Hybels and I can't, you know, I don't know everything there is to know. And, you, and we work ourselves up into this frenzy in a sense that our standard is so high for perfection that, you know, if Jesus were to apply to a church, he probably wouldn't even qualify in half the churches because the standards are so high that Jesus ain't going to make it in. We're talking about getting together in our homes reading a passage, and talking about it. That's it. Hey, what does this mean to you? What's it? It's a conversation. It's just a, it's an hour and a half. We're getting ready to start a new series in a couple weeks. It's called God, How He Longs for You to See Him. It's going to be a great series. And I'm praying that people will be able to jump into a group. Pastor Dan's going to be teaching Sunday. Our groups are going to be breaking up, and they're going to be studying and looking at this in more detail. It's going to be great. And you do not want to miss it. And we've got 20 small groups right now. And if everybody tried to jump into one, you know what happened? If all of you showed up in one house, it'd just be this. <laughs> and so right now, I am praying for somebody that would say, you know what, I am willing to have somebody come over to my house. I've got some DVDs. The curriculum's out in the lobby. We'll be talking more about that in the next few weeks. I've got some curriculum, and it is fantastic. I was watching the DVDs. I've been kind of looking through the material. It's going to be a great study. And what you have to do is you have to walk over to your DVD player and you have to push the DVD in and press play. And then you have to come back over and sit on the couch. And you have to watch this guy teach for a little bit. And then you're going to open up your Bible and you're going to talk about passages. That's what it means to host a group at Springbrook. We're not talking about leading a group. We're talking about hosting a group. There's a difference between a host and a leader. A host is somebody that is willing to use some curriculum, invite some people over, facilitate some discussion. A small group leader is somebody that understands our values, is a confident member of, uh, of Springbrook Community Church and, and wants to influence and have an impact on the lives of other people around them and can handle the Word of God. And so I'm not saying that this is what we're trying to develop. I mean, we don't want a bunch of people that are sitting around, they're not growing in their faith, they're not growing in stature. We want people to move from being a host to being a to being a small group leader. And then we want a small group leader to grow into being a coach of other small group leaders. And then we want our coaches to grow, and we want all of our leaders to grow and start to have an impact in other areas of the church. And we want, we want our small group network to be the, uh, a primary venue for where we can identify leaders and invest in them and train them up so they can have an impact in other areas of ministry as well. And we're doing this with other ministry team leaders as well. I'm, I'm always in awe of Michelle. She does such a great job investing in those leaders' lives in children's ministry. I'm so grateful for Larry White and for all of our leaders in our First Impressions team. Those, those men and women understand the mission of the church. They're covenant members of our church. They understand our values and they want to be a part of it. And so we want to move people from being a host to a leader. But for this next 10 weeks, for this series, I pray that people would just start out and host a group. It's 10 weeks long. When it's done, it's over. There's nothing more to it. If you're interested in doing that, there's a blue insert on the inside of your program this morning. And it's, it's an invitation to come to one of our host orientations. My wife and I uh, are going to be hosting that at our house this evening at 6 o'clock. We've got one next Thursday. If you are interested or willing or if the Spirit is prompting you in any way 
to make yourself available. Maybe invite a couple friends over that are not in a group. Say, hey, let's do this study together. It's 10 weeks long. I want to invite you to come join us for one of these two gatherings. This is the lifeblood of what it means to experience the fullness of Christ. So in, we, we have the, we're in the best position in the context of small groups to meet each other's needs, to pray for one another, to get to know one another. We, Dan and I and our leadership, we can't connect with everybody, but in the context of a small group, you will get to know somebody. And it can be scary. You mean someone's going to wash my feet? No. <laughs> not, not right off the bat. <laughs> if you want to move to foot washing, that's fine. Now, some people look at that, 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 that just like Peter. No way. If we're going to be a part of the body of Christ, we've got to experience that. That's where the awe comes from. That's the attractional part of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. It's my prayer for each of us this morning that we would be able to experience a more fuller understanding of what it means to be loved by God. And that that love would translate into our behavior and our actions so that we could be an influence to those around us. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son. I thank you for the hope that we have as a result of his death on the cross. I thank you that we're not just sitting around heaven waiting for that, but that we can experience the full life that's promised to us in John 10.10. So I just pray for each of us, God, that you would ignite a new passion in our lives for for what we have, and that you'd help us to be able to take that message that you've entrusted with us and share it with others. I pray that we would continue to grow in our discipling relationships and our knowledge and our love and our application of your word in our life. This morning, I pray that you'd help us to love others. I pray that you'd help me to love others. Help each of us to be able to love others like you've loved us. I thank you for this great church. I thank you for the work that you're doing here and for the opportunity we have to be a part of reaching a lost community and sharing the love of Christ with others and helping people to explore the fullness of a passionate relationship with you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our ushers are going to come forward um, this morning and we're going to collect our tithes and offerings as a part of our worship. We're so grateful.